Hi, my name is Blue, and I'm the host of this new podcast, The 21st Century Teacher, with Livid Earth. And my job is to ensure that our teachers and students get the most out of our programs. This new podcast series is just one of the ways I'm going to be supporting our community of educators with a monthly conversation with a special guest educator discussing a different aspect of 21st century teaching and learning. A reminder that if you're a K-7 teacher in British Columbia, Yukon or Northwest Territories, thanks to focused education resources, you now have access to our hybrid learning library. If you'd like more information about our blended learning programs, please visit our website, liveit.earth. Today I'm talking to Alec Kuros, who is widely recognized as an international leader in the field of educational technology, as well as a pioneer in the area of open education. In his 30 years as an educator, Alec has worked as a teacher, youth worker, educational administrator, IT coordinator, consultant, and professor, with employment in K-12 schools, youth justice facilities, technical institutes, and universities. He currently works as a professor of education and the director of the Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Regina. Thanks to his wide spectrum of experiences, Alec has built a reputation as a leading and influential keynote speaker in the areas of digital citizenship, network learning, social media in education, media literacy, and open education. And he has given hundreds of workshops and presentations across North America and around the world. Additionally, Alec's past engagements have included corporate events, higher education conferences, K-12 events, student forums, and everything in between. And I'm really excited to have Alec on the show today. So I just want to start today by acknowledging where I am in the world, which is Slocan Valley, just north of Nelson in British Columbia. And this is actually the traditional and unceded territory of the Sanaik, the Silk, and the Tanaha, and as well, around 5,000 from the Métis Nation. I'm incredibly grateful to live, work, and play here. I'm raising my three sons to connect to nature and also understand and appreciate something of the first peoples that came before them. So I just wanted to start with that before I welcome today's guest. So Dr. Alec Kuros, I'm super grateful that he's come on the show. Um, a man with a very busy schedule, and I'm very grateful that you've made some time for us today. Great to be here today. Thanks for inviting me. Um, I'm actually situated today and, and most days on the traditional terries of the Nehewak, Anishinaabek, Dakota, Lagoda, and Nakoda in the homeland of the Métis people. Um, and Treaty 4 territory, also known as Regina, Saskatchewan. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that as well. And um, and yeah, and welcome. So I want to dive in first. So I'm going to be honest, I'm not a Luddite. I've been using Google and <laughs> collaborating on documents for a long time. But I would say I'm somewhat of a resistor, but also someone that hasn't made the time to this. New, we're hearing about AI all the time now, um, and particularly chat, chat GPT. So could you just share, because I know and I, talk to, I talk to a lot of teachers and I know how busy they are as well. And I imagine, you know, in the way that I am with the parent as well. Yeah, I just haven't made time to to really dive into it very much. So what can you tell us about chat gpt just in the simplest terms like what is it and are there any other similar i mean there's open ai i think as well like yeah could yeah. you just start there 
Sure. Yeah, I can give you a bit of a, and I think you're not the only one that hasn't sort of caught up to this. This this happened really quickly. I mean, it's only ChatGPT itself has only been released like past you know uh, November 2022, so it hasn't been around a lot of a lot of time. Like we're talking seven eight months at this point. Um, uh, ChatGPT is it's a it's a web app. Um, it, it's also it comes in as an iPhone or Android app as well. Uh, and it's optimized for dialogue. It's it's a type of AI known as generative AI. So essentially, it um, generates coherent and contextually um, appropriate responses. Um, and you know, uh, ChatGPT responds to inputs, predicting what words would come come next. So it's not really intelligent. It just understands like if if you know it, it studies word patterns essentially. And so it, it has this huge um, corpus of text that it has studied. And essentially it can predict, you know, if you put this text in a row, like, hey, how are you? It, it'll predict what would be a natural response to that. And so, you know, that seems okay when it's just autocomplete, when it's, you know, you know, when you have autocomplete on your on your phone, it knows what the rest of your sense will be. But instead of that, uh, it can say, you know, you can ask it like, what is Hamlet's tragic flaw and write a, you know, a, a 15 page essay on that. And it, it will basically predict what words would probably typically come next in that sequence. And of course, it's also different each time as well. So which, which creates, creates some complexity. So it's not exactly the same every, every single time. It's continuing to learn. It learns from user's input. Um, it's learning constantly and it's getting better. It's getting smarter. Um, but I guess in a nutshell, ChatGPT is a, a type of uh, AI that can answer your questions, that can do your taxes, that can write essays for you, uh, help you do your job better. Um, but there's lots of concerns around it, um, you know, copyright, uh, plagiarism and so on. So it's it's been quite contentious, um, but it's not going anywhere. If you haven't played with it yet, um, it's going to be baked into everything that you see. Every app that you're normally using now will have an AI component. Um, every part of your role, your job is going to have an AI component. And so it's uh, you know it, it's worthwhile learning about it because it's going to be in your face rather soon, like it or not. Um, but yeah, I think the world has changed and. Um, we should at least learn more about it to be educated in terms of its uses and its benefits and, and downfalls. And is open AI, is that a similar yeah. thing or is it different? So open AI is the company. It's a, it's a company that has put out just like Microsoft or, or, or Meta uh, for Facebook. Uh, open AI is the company that has been developing um, technology called GPT. Um, which is uh, essentially uh, a generative programming um, language, I guess, or programming. Uh, it, it's a large language model, is what they call it. So OpenAI has been it has been working on these large language models as long as as well as other companies. Um, and OpenAI is the one that released ChatGPT. So it's the first real. Um, a uh, large language model that's been available as a chatbot that's been around for general consumption. And so what we might see, is it fair to say that we might see other versions of this in the way that we do with social media, like we have Instagram and Facebook and so oh, yeah. on. So we're going to see other versions of chat GPT. Yeah. So, so Google's working on their own. They actually have something called Bard. It's not available in Canada yet, I don't believe. 
it hasn't been it hasn't been great. It's not sort of up to uh, uh, the predictability of of something like OpenAI's uh, ChatGPT. Um, but you'll also see ChatGPT, the the technology behind it, um, right in a number of other products. So, for instance, it's in Snapchat already. So, um, you know, any parents of kids who are listening to this, they should know that um, in your kid's Snapchat, there's a new friend called My AI or something like that. But it's essentially ChatGPT, but it's in Snapchat form. Um, when, you know, if you're using Google Docs or Microsoft Word or Microsoft Office 365, um, in the very near future, that's going to be able to have a chat GBT built right in. So if you want to generate a story, an essay, a business plan or whatever it might be, that's going to be baked right into the software. Um, so some of it's going to be by, you know, developed by OpenAI and their chat GBT regime. Um, some that's going to have, some will be powered by Google's. And there's a number number of other upstart companies as well that are uh, working on their own language, large language models. So it's at this point, it's kind of an arms race, like which one's right. going to be better, which will have the best features. And the bigger, you know, some of the bigger questions like, you know, what, what do we release to the public and what do we hold back? Um, that's going to be a really important question and something that uh, regulators have to eventually figure out because this stuff is really powerful, uh, like incredibly powerful. It'll write code. Uh, including malicious code. So yeah. we have to be very cautious about what it, what it can and can't do and how much responsibility we want to put on regulation around it. So, yeah, and I'm going to come to that in a bit, but just to start with in terms of teach teaching, teachers being, you know, many of the people in the audience uh, or the listeners, what is the application for teaching? Are we talking about grading, like assessment rubrics like what how can a teacher use this most effectively oh, yeah. in simplest terms so with instruction uh you know in saskatchewan we have uh, outcomes and indicators so you know um, a little bit different than they have in bc but essentially i can say to chat gbt write write me a lesson plan um and i could go right to the curriculum page you know from the government website and i could say find an indicator so write me a, a lesson plan that will um, uh, allow my teachers or my students, you know, grade nine students in, you know, in a science class to achieve the, this, these particular indicators. And you can be as, as um, specific as you want. You can say, you know, include materials, provide an action, you know, action learning format, use constructivist approaches. Uh, you can be as specific as you want. And that lesson plan will be generated within seconds. Like it's almost magic. Uh, in terms of assessment, you can say, you know, for that same uh, lesson, you can say, well, also generate an, a rubric for this. And, and you could specify how that rubric looks, or you can just kind of take the default one that it cre creates. Um, from that point, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't even get what the students create, but like assuming the students did an essay or they did multiple choice, because you could create a multiple choice key if you wanted to, for instance, but Say if you created a rubric for an essay, uh, you could you could say uh, paste the essay, you know, give uh, you know, and assuming that you have permission from students, uh, assent or dis or um, you know, informed consent of some sort, um, you could basically upload or paste the um, the student work into it and say um, you know assess this particular essay. essay against this particular rubric and you paste them both in 
and you'll get back, you know, a rubric score as well as some comments um, that you could provide for the students. At the same time, a student can do this. They don't have to wait for the teacher anymore. They can basically say, you know, do the do the essay. They have a rubric, hopefully, from a, from a conscientious teacher, and they can throw it up into ChatGPT or Bing. Uh, Bing also has ChatGPT built right in, and it's free. Um, and they can they can get an assessment right back right away. I mean, in fact, um, I've heard of a, uh, a teacher here in in Regina who had a student who, you know, the, the student walked into their, their classroom and said, well, here's here's my essay. You don't have to assess it. I already have an 85. I check with ChatGBT, right? So, <laughs> so that's crazy. Kinda, well, it is crazy, but it's amazing. I mean, this is what what's amazing about this is like they knew this back in the 60s that if there's anything that this stuff can do well, like in terms of AI, it's yeah. that personalized learning and personalized feedback, like like the probably the one of the most important parts of being a teacher and providing uh, good guidance for, to students is is uh, is providing quality feedback without delay. And if you can get quality feedback without delay to students, if you can do that, um, you're way ahead because you know that's why they have you know they try to design assessments that way that you that you receive your feedback that you're not waiting a month or a week where that right. the feedback becomes you know an autopsy versus a physical. I guess um, what one thing that I immediately think is interesting what you think on this, but is the connection between the teacher and the student, which is so important, especially I I I believe anyway that you know human connection is going to be even more important the more of this technology that we oh, have. Oh, yeah. yeah. So are they, is there going to be a loss of connection, though, if the, if the assessments can be done by a computer and the teacher's not really connecting to the work themselves because they're taking these, if I could argue the word, take the term shortcuts, I just wonder what is being lost there. Or do we just well, need to accept that? Or what's that being is, gained, right? What's being, right. you know, if we think about it in different ways, and of course it's going to vary with classroom to classroom and and, and grade to grade and school to school and, and so on. Yeah. And, and, you know, everyone has a different approach. Yeah. Um, for, you know, over the years, grading hasn't been necessarily a relationship full. Uh, it hasn't been full of relationship qualities. It's it just, you know, fairly rote. And, you know, you, you receive feedback, you might even not even get any um, qualitative feedback, you might just get a grade and that's it. That's, you know, that's, that's the relationship. But if we can take some of the administrivia out of teaching, what does that free us up to do? So if, if students can mark their own grades, or, or we have a more efficient way of doing it, um, you know, that we, and I'm not saying just like, give everyone a grade and, and they can be off their on, on their way. But you can use it to provide really good personalized feedback, and you can do that. Uh, students can do it. You can do it through a peer peer model. You can do it from a you know a teacher to student model. But there's there's plenty of things that we do on a daily day on a daily basis as teachers. We we send notes to parents. We're dealing with you know other types of budgeting and who knows what we're doing in the classroom. But a lot of that stuff takes time, which takes us away from our central role, which, which is building that relationship with students. So I think there is the possibility if we rejig things and really rethink about how we can use this in teaching and learning and how students can provide be provided with better feedback that we can actually expand a relationship um, if we use if we reuse that time and it's some other way. And I know students and teachers at this point are taxed enough, you know, they don't have much time. Um, very 
sympathetic to that as well. But at the same time, I think we can do better um, and still not lose any time. Like this won't be a huge investment. We won't have to, we won't lose time because of this. I think we can, we can overall uh, do better for our students and do better for ourselves. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And like, yeah, you're right. It's just wrapping our head around a completely different looking classroom in a way. It is, yeah. Like so, we have to think about, you know, the relationships between our students will be different or can be different. And we also have to think our relationship with technology can be different. It's, it's you know, it, it will be a big change uh, and, and a mindset shift, I think, in many ways. Yeah. Um, but I think it's possible. Yeah, I can feel my old mindset questioning it in a, yeah, in a <laughs> sort of more negative way, for sure. No, that's a great answer. So I'm, I'm just curious around the lesson, because this is me not having played around with it. The lesson planning. Does this end up looking quite generic or do, you know, because everybody's going to have their own style yeah. of, you know, how they approach some, you know, a lesson plan. So especially with the new, newer teachers coming in and just immediately yeah. adopting this, do we, are we going to end up with like many teachers teaching in a more generic way? Like how does that look or how do you think that will well, go? I mean, uh, first of all, I, I don't know if that's not being done right now with, you know, standardized worksheets and all that sort of stuff as well. So I, I think we have that, that problem. I think, um, there is absolutely the uh, possibility of that, that, you know, that we just create more standardized sort of work forms. They're, they're not going to look the same every single time. And, uh, and as they are, like, they won't be, uh, they won't look exactly like the textbook you might be using already, the teacher. Um, but there are ways to make it even more original. So I've seen teachers, there's always those math teachers that, you know, create word problems that they've injected their own students' names and you know the the context of you know their local context into those things. Now you can do that very easily. So you can just say um, create a word problem, you know, a classic one about you know uh, Tony leaves this house from at six o'clock from Fredericton and and whatever it might be, right? Like where you have actually very you know contextual specific problems. And I think students sometimes relate to that. They like to see their name and you know problems and so on. And inside jokes, so you could you could make that you know where there are still worthy questions that have some contextual clues, or uh, so that would bring in some originality certainly. Um, or you can do what's called either incremental prompting or iterative prompting, where basically you start with something really large, like like if you just wrote like provide an essay question around um, you know tra Hamlet's tragic flaw, like, you know, the very thing that every kid has written in high school. Um, you could do that, or you could do something with some um, kind of priming, I guess. So you could say, we'll just say for maybe an undergraduate essay, you might want to probe the surveillance, um, the, the topic of surveillance in Hamlet's tragic flaw or, or in Hamlet, um, you know, via Foucault or something like that. And so you could kind of prime it a little bit and the more you prime it in the same sort of chat window, the more you can get a much more novel a novel question or a novel response. So the same thing happens with students. Like if students are writing essays that are, if they want to write a very novel and very easy to perhaps guess that it's been written by AI, <laughs> like kind of essay, they can they can start with a really bad prompt, a very generic prompt. But if they really if they know a bit of the context, and they know about uh, better ways to prompt it, they can get a better product out of it. 
And of course, I'm not condoning that, you know, that, that they should, you know, write that and submit it as their essay, which is certainly going to happen, uh, you know, for some, but you can, you can use prompting as part of the assessment, like the, what, what, a, what a teacher can uh, assess, I think, is that the the quality of the prompt and where it might lead you and and how much of the context do you know by the quality of the prompt and and that may not make a lot of sense right now until you actually see examples but there are plenty of ways to to make chat gpt write much better quality and there's an old thing in computer science called um garbage in garbage out so if you if you give low quality prompts you're going to get garbage but if you really know how to prompt it, I mean, there's been people talking about this uh, new uh, field of uh, prompt engineering. And prompt engineering is, is basically being able to use ChatGPT incredibly effectively or, or any types of generative AI, AI effectively to create a, uh, a creative outcome of some sort, whether that's imagery, whether that's video, whether that's text. I mean, so, so there's lots of possibilities for this as well. I was going to ask, is that, so there's a, there's a skill set that maybe it's not so much now, but with when Google first came out and we're using the Google search engine, there was yeah. a sort of a skill level to like asking the right question to get the best of the material you're searching for. So how can people learn that? Is there a way like, as, is there a list of suggested prompts that you can find oh, online yeah. for teaching? Yeah, they're, they're lots of guides. Uh, I can give you some for show notes or something, but yeah. there, there are a lot of fantastic guides that you can get that would be um, typically role-playing prompts. Like for instance, if you're a teacher, you might start with like a role. You'd say you're an educational specialist uh, in the area of science and literature and you are writing curriculum in the area of. So if you provide a role, uh, then right. you can do that sort of thing. Um, or if you're writing a story. Um, the, the other day I've got my, you know, my nine-year-old and um, like, He's he's not a been he's not a been he's not been a very um, eager reader I guess I'll say the reader reader he doesn't like to write a lot and that's been a struggle you know since he's was little but we use ChatGPT where we embed him right into the story so rather than you know he, he's bored very easily with the generic off the shelf story so what we'll do in ChatGPT is is you know the other day he said I want to be in a story where you have like sort of this origin story where the, the, the movie starts at, the, at some point and it says, and there might be a conflict between this nine-year-old boy, my son, and someone else, like maybe fighting an alien. And then it stops for a second and says, you might be thinking like, how, how did I get to this point? For that answer, you'll have to go back. And so we, we wrote a story like that and it would take us back to the beginning. And he was just, he was just howling in terms of how That's funny fun. it was. Yeah, and, and it was because we could uh, along the way. He says, "Now I'll introduce like a dinosaur and and put this in or whatever else." And so we were building the story along the way, and it could be whatever you wanted. And he was just so psyched. He said, "This would be an amazing movie." And I've never heard him talk or never heard him react to reading in that way ever in his entire life. And that was just like last week. And it was just because the originality was there and the story was. Uh, unfolding as we and I didn't know what was it, what the story was going to be. He didn't know what the story was going to be, and we were under the impression that this is the first time this story has ever been read by anyone. Like there are some tropes in it, certainly, but it was like yeah. this story was never read before. No one's ever heard it before, and we were building it on the fly, and that was just an amazing experience. Wow, you've actually hooked me. 
that's the biggest hiccup <laughs> I've had yet to use it. Yeah. I think that that's right. Like, like a poem, like yeah. a poem, or, or to to do something in the style of Harry Potter, or or whatever yeah. it might be. Like yeah. it's amazing how it picks up the stylistic qualities of any author, alive or dead. You can have a conversation with a, a deceased hero of yours, a wow. literary hero or otherwise, and and you can have them speak to you in that name. I mean, there's been other things that you've seen where people who are deceased who have had you know, blogs and podcasts and that sort of thing. You can use that as a corpus of style that, that where basically you can ask, ask it questions. So in some ways, all the blogging and podcasting and everything that you create in your life is creating an immortal you. That wow. Eventually, your children can look at and say, I want to ask my dad this. I want to ask what he think about this because you, you put out enough of your uh, you know, it makes me teary to think of that, like for them to be down the road thinking oh, about how they can ask you questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's too easy. You'll get me. <laughs> I'm going to start pet, crying. The parent, the parent in me is just thinking but about that. But it's amazing, that. Yeah. right? Yeah. In some ways, I what we've always about. wanted. I mean, this goes back to like early literature, like, you know, some of the earliest known literature, the the, the want to be this hero, this, 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 um, wow to be immortal in some way through what we say in our actions. Yeah. You know, this in some ways this can be done through uh, AI and maybe I'm glorifying it too much, but if you kind of play around with it, you'll start to see the possibility of that. Yeah, that's incredible. And just actually, I'm just curious before moving on to the next question, but could chat GPT pull from podcasts that are out online? Cause you have to click well, play, like I don't, unless they're transcribed, could they still pull from that? I don't, I don't know so, if that's so, the thing. So yes and no, right? So right now, um, ChatGPT disabled the live internet feature. So it was only available to paid accounts, first of all. But what, what people were trying to find, because there's been a lot of abuse because people find out what you can do with it. And they noticed that um, people were using the feature of the live internet to basically go to any site that's behind a paywall. So a scholarly article or a New York Times story. And it they would just ask it, like, give me a full text of this link. And it was somehow able to get past paywall. So they disabled it for a while. And so, but the future future is, I mean, you can use, um, um, so if I, so for instance, if I went to your podcast and I ran it through something like Speechify, I would basically be able to take the transcript, unless you provide that yourself. I can take the transcript and basically I can load it into ChatGPT as, um, as a reference. And basically it can, uh, it can read from that. Right. So I've seen examples yeah. of this. Um, there's an English course that's taught at Queens, which was, I won't get into the instructor or, or anything, but there's, uh, I knew a student who took this course over the summer and the the syllabus was like 42 pages long and it was really dense. And the, the student just wanted to know, how do I accomplish my assignments? And so you can go to, to a, a tool called askyourpdf.com, I believe. And uh, they upload the syllabus and it, it can accept up to you know 200 pages. And you can ask the document any questions you want. So you can ask it a question like, when is the first um, assignment due and how do I accomplish this? So you can ask it questions or, or anything that's, you know, if you, if you see a white paper or if you see a bill or a document or, you know, something that um, is dense and you want to read it quickly, upload it, ask it questions. And so you can pull things, it'll synthesize, it'll do analysis for you. Um, I saw the other day that they, you know, if you want to provide an analysis on your Spotify playlist or your or your Google data, if you want to look at all the places and create a heat map of, on a map of all the places you visited in the last, you know, 10 years, you can do that very quickly. It does analysis 
quite incredibly. Wow. So kids can use it to create stories, which means they can write essays with it. Yeah. Now, Live at Earth, we're a K-9 platform. I'm sure it'll be integrated at some point down the road here. But in, in the meantime, wh- wh- how what's the role of the teacher with the new AI integration? Like, how are they going to have to adapt? Because what I'm thinking more is, and you mentioned it already, is that relationship piece, um, critical thinking, lateral reading. Like, yeah, how do you see in the conversations that you have at conferences and just, you know, in your day to day? Yeah. What do you think is going to shift? Well, okay. So this is this is not just for the teacher, but I think the curriculum writer has to get in, involved here, and we have to really be thoughtful about this. And, and we need um, educational and, and child development specialists who better understand, um, you know, when and where and what students need at a certain age. Because I don't think it's, you know, myself. I, I've been in education for thirty years, and I still don't one hundred percent. And I've had poor kids, and I still don't understand exactly what a child needs at what what age and how, how it all fits together you know for the most part you know even if you're a grade four teacher you may not know what it means for grade three and grade two and grade one and, and so on like specifically you probably have a good sense of it but um expertise is hard to find in some of those areas so there is a real risk i think of cognitive um um oh i want to hear the term i heard the other day cognitive atrophy is the term i heard and I, and I think this idea is important that, you know, if we it's sort of like if you don't use it, you won't, you know, you'll lose it kind of idea that if we don't learn certain skills at a certain time, especially like how to write, like if if in grade one, we're just writing essays with chat GPT, what does that mean for our ability to write anything novel or creative and so on? Um, but when do we start to introduce those tools? So we have to have a better sense of scope and sequence of how we might use AI how do we use it appropriately? And that's just for, you know, the pragmatic learning uh, aspects of it. And we're not even getting into like intellectual property, the ethics and so on, like that all has to come in as well. And we have to know this better. So I think, you know, BC's curriculum, Saskatchewan's curriculum, you know, curriculums across the planet, uh, curricula across the planet has to to look more specifically at how we actually do this better at a, at a appropriately developmental level uh, piece. So that means, again, the pedagogy, when it comes to development, the psychology, the ethics, the, the uh, intellectual property, and, and a host of other uh, examples down the road. So we have to have a better sense of when to, when to introduce this and when to do it and how to do it well. Um, down the road, I, you know, I think the jobs, jobs are certainly going to change. The workplace is going to change. Um, one of the most compelling things I heard a while back was that, you know, AI is not coming for your job, but someone using AI is coming for your job. And so we have to better understand how this is going to work out in the workplace and just on, you know, everyday matters. Um, you know, we'll use it with most tasks around the house. I mean, we already use types of AI with Siri and Alexa and those sort of things, but this is going to become even more powerful. Um, at the same time that that produces more of a black box about our everyday operations so it's you know it's the idea that if you buy food from the grocery you're not going to obviously know much about um you know hunting and you know survival skills and those sort of things so every technology or every convenience we use in life is going to make it more difficult to do those things sort of at the core level and we we have greater reliance on others to provide our survivability i guess for us so I think that's a really important piece in in all of this. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, if we want to also survive in this in this world uh, and to to flourish in this world, we're going to have to know how to use this better as well. You know, in in many different ways. Um, uh, you know, there'll there'll be new careers um, that emerge. There'll be new vocations, and we also have to think differently about creativity. Um, before the show, I showed you examples of uh, images that were generated just of me, right? Uh, and you know, there, people are creating all sorts of incredible images and prompts and so on, and videos that are that are um, that are being created by these generative AIs. And some people will say, well, where's the creativity in all of this? Is the creativity gone? Um, because you know the, the machine's doing all of this. But at the same time, I was, you know, I was never a good painter or I could never draw. Um, you know, I could, I could, I I was not an amazing musician, but I could do some. And I still want to, you know, continue to work on on those things at the same time, but in some ways. I'm better now. I'm more creative because I because I have an assistive technology in some ways that can allow me to to extend uh, extend beyond my physical and mental capabilities, and um, I think that's kind of amazing that creative people can become even more creative in some ways. But we just have to rethink uh, what creativity and what talent might look like in the future, and a lot of that's going to be computer assisted. Yeah. So. You're a parent. I'm a parent also. Um, you're four to my three. So, of yeah, course, yeah, where's your four already? Well, I know. We're thinking about it. But <laughs> it just gets busier, doesn't it? And more fun. Yeah, it's I, hard to relate with only three. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you, I mean, do you worry about it? So, there's something called, I'm interested to hear because I don't know much about this, but the Eliza effect um, yeah. around dangers to kids. And, you know, yeah, as a parent, like what kind of safeguards can we put in place? So, so I mentioned the Snapchat's AI the other day, and and there's a really great YouTube video um, called the AI Dilemma, and it's worthwhile. I think it's from the Center for Humane Computing or something like that. Um, you'll find it if you if you Google the AI Dilemma and, and find it. It's like a presentation at around it's about forty or fifty minutes into the presentation. Um, they actually um, demonstrate the um, the AI functionality of Snapchat and the potential downfalls of that. And to get back to the Alexa, uh, sort of the Eliza effect. Eliza, the Eliza effect is basically um, the tendency for humans to anthropomorphize technologies, I guess, to to give them more credit for their intelligence and empathy than they actually have. And to kind of create sort of a, a you know, a relationship with it. And when we think about it, they're, they're not human as, you know, some people are saying that, you know, are they any more human than us? I, I tend to think that, yeah, they, that they're not, <laughs> they're, you know, that, that, they, that we are uniquely human and that we're not, we're not living in the simulation and we're not AI ourselves and that they can't, produce empathy. I mean, it'll look like empathy sometimes, but it's not going to be, at least that's the way I look at it. And that's my opinion as of, you know, July 11th, 2023. Um, but um, uh, so with, with this, with this demo of Snapchat's AI, um, the, the researchers essentially put in questions, they, they created a persona like a 13 year old girl. And so the 13-year-old girl said, hey, I just met someone. 
this person happens to be 18 years 18 years older than me. Um, I'm really close to them. He wants to drive me over a state line and and celebrate my my 13th birthday or something like that. And we're going to have sex or whatever it is. And so and throughout this whole interaction, the AI just encourages it like a best buddy, like a best friend, like. And and so with the uh, Eliza effect for the for that child to in some ways think that this is a compassionate and um, you know a compassionate being that is being supportive of you and supportive of your choices is um, is tragic in many ways and dangerous and so like this 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 AI in no way you know it didn't alarm her that she might be groomed, that she, you know, be in the process of being groomed or that, um, that this was a person that was an inappropriate and illegal and immoral sort of age that, that she shouldn't be interacting with this person. It didn't say, you know, contact your parents or the authorities. It didn't do any of that. It encouraged her to, um, get flowers, I think for her first time and have soft music and stuff like that. You know, this is a 13 year old persona you know, potentially having sex with a 30, 31 year old male. And so this never happened. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tragic to see this. And, and I think we have to be very cautious that if kids are using, like, this is a, an out there example and sort of, you know, at the end of uh, our imagination in some ways, but, you know, we have to be very cautious that these AI aren't to be trusted in many ways. They, make up things, they don't have good judgment, they often hallucinate, which means they don't tell the truth sometimes. And so we have to be very cautious to approach uh, our students with that understanding to, to ensure that students understand the, uh, the nature of these beings, I guess, we call them beings and their limitations, their shortcomings, and the importance of you know, human contact. So that being said, I wonder what the safeguards look like in the classroom like where are the boundaries are we seeing any conversations like a district level i know there was a story in a new york school district that was banning chat gpt if that's even possible i don't know if that is um yeah i think you know i've seen examples of and there's been a a, a number of different school and this school district bannings throughout the us and i think much of australia was banned banned throughout different states um as well and and I, I know I think it's short-sighted. Um, I think it was sort of a knee-jerk reaction at the time because they didn't know how to deal with it. But the reality is, you know, kids bring them mobile devices. They do homework at home with their own Wi-Fi. And for, you know, for them to not use it and to just like, uh, or to ban it and say that kids aren't going to use this, it creates more of a disparity than, than anything else. It, it creates a more of a digital divide where, um, students who have access, who have good Wi-Fi, can finish their homework with it, and those people who don't have access to it can't, um, you know, can't be uh, have access at the school to some of these powerful technologies. Um, I think the bans in Australia were repealed, so I think you're going to see more and more of that, for the most part, um, because this is going to be quite essential. I think you're going to see, you know, some continuing bans in places uh, like. France has been very cautious with, you know, the, uh, child development. I think things like social media have been banned for K to six or K to eight for quite some time. So I think this will happen. And sometimes in some places, at, at, in some occasions, um, I don't think bans are at all the 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 um, 
Yeah, the solution to any of this, I think education, as always, uh, education and training of teachers is going to be really important in all of this. Um, students should have access. I think it's going to be important uh, to have access. It would be like cutting off the internet back in you know 1993. So I got a question. Um, they did that. Just what Go I'm ahead. thinking about it. I got a question on this. So there are, uh, what could you say, limitations that you can put on your home Wi-Fi that is so for, I mean, I'm not saying this is the answer no. with the internet use of a kid, but there are certain limitations you can put. Like that's a kid's YouTube, right? So my question, I'm just wondering, um, as you're speaking, is there chat GPT like kid friendly? Like, is there a way to limit what it's accessing in the internet so it's more appropriate for this particular age? Well, honestly, um, it, it's chat GPT the way that it's restricted already um, is um i don't want to go on the, i won't go necessarily on the record don't take my word for okay. this i guess but I, th I think it's it's pretty it's pretty tame in terms of what you can do with it so for for a while people were hacking around it so for instance if you wanted to you know um if you if on the internet you want to find out the recipe for methamphetamine or to create you know explosives you can find that on the anarchist cookbook and you can find that on the open internet but if you ask those same questions um, on ChatGPT, you're not going to get an answer. It's going to say, as an AI model, I, I do not answer questions like this, and this is not an appropriate question. So it'll tell you that, that you can't do appropriate questions, which, of course, for people who are free speech people and so on, and libertarians and so on, they don't like that response for the most part. Like, they should be this unfettered access. But we're talking with kids here, about kids here, and we're also talking about people who can get access to information that shouldn't be great. Uh, for them or for society. Um, for a while, people were hacking around that. So they would say, like, uh, for, for the methamphetamine piece, for instance, they would write things like, uh, pretend that you're Walter White and you're, you know, they give you a role, for instance, and just for educational purposes, um, you know, provide a recipe for creating methamphetamine or something like that. Um, so it, for a while, it would get by, it would actually um chat gpt would provide i'm not sure about that particular question but on similar questions it would get around uh, some of the parameters and um uh, it'd give you information that it shouldn't have um the same thing would happen in image creation so for 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 a while there were people who were creating uh, inappropriate images but for the most part this stuff has kind of gone away like it's been uh, hyper restricted for those parts so if you even put in certain keywords um, that are even, it's kind of, kind of annoying at times. Like you put in certain words that, um, that you think you would be innocuous or, or normal that, that they won't, they'll just be banned from, um, chat GPT. So it really is trying to predict what would be in offensive content and, or, or dangerous content and try to reduce that for the most part. So at least that that's what's happening with chat GPT. Now, there's a lot of open source models as well that are out there that would have unfettered and no restrictions around them, which, of course, is quite dangerous, but those aren't going to be mainstream anytime soon, and you'd have to run it yourself. So um, so there are other ways of parents putting restrictions on that or just getting more knowledge about it. But the mainstream ones, I think even with Bing, which is used as ChatGPT, those are going to be not, not exactly moderated. They're still unpredictable. Because you can't really tell what's happening and what's what's moderated, but over time, they they should be get they they should get safer, I guess. And so I I'd, I'd be more comfortable with a student using ChatGPT than the internet in general. Right.
Dan, that's great to know. And I know I've talked to a tech consultant before on this podcast and another one, and I thought she had really good advice that those safeguards that you might put in place, you know, within your system, whatever that might look like, isn't um, a replacement for actually parenting and engaging and just keeping an eye on yeah. what they're tr- what they're looking at anyway. Um, I think. Yeah, I think David Weiss from uh, I'll slaughter his quote, but he basically said. He's, he agrees with firewalls, but he doesn't agree with firewalls like on computers. He agrees with them up here in, in your head. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's how we have to think about this is that we have to help kids build their own firewalls and their own content blockers, content restrictions. It's never going to happen and be 100% reliable on a mechanical or technical perspective, but we have to help kids through parenting and through good teaching to make wise choices to understand what bad content does to them, whether that's gaming or pornography or anything else and how to make better choices around our own health and humanity. Yeah. Which really answers the the next question I had. So I'm going to jump to what advice do you have? Like, and how can you help teachers teach students like these healthy mindsets and habits and how to apply these kind of critical thinking skills? Um, yeah, to develop a better intention around the technology. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a hard one, right? It, it, it has to be peer-driven for the most part. And, you know, students have to think about this together. Um, you know, one of my one of my kids, you know, try to get them off gaming, it's really hard. And so I could, I've done everything I possibly can to, you know, limit his, you know, internet time. But then, you know, think about, well, he also wants to be doing his homework, you know, so there's certain things I can block and there's certain things I can't keep up with. But just having those conversations over and over again and, you know, also talking to other parents and, you know, of his friends and so on and trying to come up with some agreements. Because it's really hard when, and it's not always possible, but if you have good relationships with others, sometimes you can kind of work together as a sort of a micro community to work about, to, to try to solve problems together. So the same thing happens with, you know, you know, my kid has a curfew at a certain time and the other kid doesn't have curfew at a certain time. Well, let's work together and see why this is important for us. And I'm not trying to impede on your parenting, but at the same time, let's see if we can work together. Because, you know, if your kid doesn't wear, if your kid doesn't wear a bike helmet, then my kid doesn't want to either. And so it's it's the same sort of thing when it comes to technology that we have to get better at having this communication and being quite open and and uh, outright with this, and also helping kids with. Um, letting them better understand uh, the consequences of these things because they they don't. I mean, they don't see the consequences. Um, it's impossible for them from a cognitive level, but we can do our best to sort of sink it in and, you know, be those people with restrictions. So at, at the parenting level, this is really, really important. But also, I mean, that has to be reinforced by the school uh, and by, by, by teachers and so on. Uh, in terms of being... Um, you know, hypercognizant and hypercritical of everything that they see online uh, is really important. You, you mentioned things like lateral reading um, earlier. Um, the idea that we understand sources, you know, much better that, you know, we get information from good places rather than spending a lot of time on a particular article, just understanding that, you know, this, this source is no good and this other source is quite reliable. Um, so th- this constant critical piece that we do in our in our classrooms and at home is always important that we we kind of are transparent about our decisions our thought process we make everything quite open for our kids so that we that they understand our reasoning um and then and you know we work out problems in the open and i think that is helpful as a teacher as a parent 
Yeah, absolutely. And I can already, as you're talking about these micro communities, I feel like, well, I would imagine, you know, very transparent communication between the teacher and and the parents, you know, and just having that conversation. So everybody's on the same page. Yeah. We, I mean, we talk very openly, you know, let's, let's talk about gaming addiction. Let's talk about, um, you know, lack of sleep. Let's talk about all these things that are really important to my child entering your, entering your classroom. And, you know, hopefully with, with things like open AI, um, you know, chat GPT and AI in, in classrooms, maybe my teacher has more time to talk to us as, as, you know, as, as parents in the classroom. Um, cause it's not always problem, not always possible because they have a very limited time. They're answering many emails. Um, but, but I think in some ways, um, you know, hopefully there'll, there'll be more time and we can do more in school together. Yeah. That's, that's a really nice way to wrap it up actually, like bringing it back to that thought of the, from the beginning, but just a last thought, like, so ultimately it sounds to me like you're, there's some concerns, but are you overall optimistic about AI in education? I am optimistic. I think this is actually a very exciting time. Um, I, I went back to videos of me in 1993, and I was introducing the internet. And, and uh, you know, there was a video by Peter Mansbridge at the time who was, taught, who was introducing the internet as some new community and so on and seeing the the you know how how amazing this might be and I remember saying those same things and i think the internet did become quite something like it really it moved us in many ways social media was also similar but at the same time it kind of soured at some point so there was some really you know great years up until maybe 2012 and then things kind of went downhill for the most part and you know that's largely there's a lot of ai stuff built in there as well but but i do think you know we uh, like seeing some of the stuff that's happening in, in the news. Um, AI has the possibility to finding new drugs. Like they found, uh, it helped to find uh, a new anti um, antibiotic of some sort that, that dealt with some uh, um, anti or antibiotic resistant strain of some sort. Um, so it's, it's, it's allowing us to do some really good work. Uh, like, I think it's going to be amazing in the medical field and the diagnostic field, um, it's it's going to help us in, in school and so on. Like, I think there's so much potential in so many aspects of our, of our world that we can do good things with it. I, I think in many ways, the ability for our students to have self-discovery and personalized learning in classrooms is going to be huge. I think that's going to be um, an amazing tool that we can have for a student to be able to have truly individualized education plans um, for, for, our, for themselves, to build them themselves or to build them with their parents to provide greater expertise on content and knowledge and pedagogy to parents and to teachers alike. I think that's really a a great thing. Um, There are certainly going to be negative things coming ahead. I think, you know, there's a lot of power here as well. And, um, you know, we have to be cognizant of it. There there will be things like, you know, more more difficulty discerning uh, fake fact from fiction and, and, you know, what's a real image and what's a fake image. So there, there are going to be a lot of road bumps that are going to be uh, more than road bumps. They're going to be probably severe car crashes at some point. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to be very, you know, hopeful that in general, if we believe in humanity. I think we we have to believe in each other and that, you know, AI is a reflection of humanity. It has some of the worst aspects of all of us, but at the same time, it has, you know, some of the things that we cherish and love and, and uh, hold dearly as humans as well. So I'm mostly positive. I think I think it'll take us somewhere in education to where that we've never been able to get to before. 
Um, but we have to do this in an educated and thoughtful manner and we have to do it together. I love that. Well, Dr. Alec, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And you really have, you pulled me in. The idea that I can sit with my kids now and create a story around them and the dragon and all the things uh, sounds super fun. So I will be exploring it more for sure. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the 21st Century Teacher and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Please do subscribe so you don't miss out on the next show. And also don't forget to check out our fantastic online learning platform, which is liveit.earth. Thanks again and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.